Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and it is hot in the summertime in Columbus, Georgia. Don't have to tell you that. I know y'all are out traveling, but no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, whatever you have going on, God is welcoming you home. So we invite you to come and join us as we celebrate our awesome God of love and of grace and joy. Come on in. The first lesson is from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 6 through 14. Please listen for the word of the Lord. And Abraham hasted into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of woman. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah will have a son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second passage is taken from the Gospel of Matthew. We are at the very end. The very last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples are here in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything to obey that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So some years ago, Jack Lemmon, the actor, 
was playing golf with Clint Eastwood, the actor. They were together on a golf course playing with a couple of golf pros, and this particular hole, Jack Lemmon starts, and one end of this hole is bordered by the ocean, 80-foot cliff goes over the side. So Lemon swings, slices it, the ball goes over the side, and upon further investigation, they see that it lands on an outcropping of plants about four feet down from the edge of the cliff. So Lemon, like any of us would do in the same situation, just decides to do a drop, take a penalty stroke, and do it again, and Clint Eastwood won't hear any of it. Jack... You're going to take that stroke, and I'm going to hold on to you and make sure that you're okay. It's about as good as I can do, sorry. So he convinces Jack Lemon to lean over this 80-foot cliff while Clint Eastwood holds the back of his pants while he does so, and the two golf pros now are making a human chain with each other to hold Clint Eastwood, who's holding Jack Lemon over the side of a cliff to take a shot. He takes his shot, boom, lands on the green. How many of us would allow anyone, even Clint Eastwood, back in the day, to hold us over an 80-foot cliff for any reason, much less to hit a little white ball. Whom would you trust? This is where our army soldiers uh, come, come into play. We expect all of you to be able to be strong enough to hold us. But my guess is that list wouldn't be very long. Who do you trust? Today, we are continuing in our series on questions of faith, questions that you have submitted to the church. Today, the question is, can Christians have doubt? And quickly, the answer is no. If you doubt, you will go to hell. A little black crow will peck at your eye and liver forever. Hallelujah. Amen. What? Okay, you're right. There's a little more to it than that. Well, let's, let's first do what we always need to do and explore God's word to us about this. The two passages read, Laz read from Genesis, Sarah laughing, Abraham did the same thing. They're going to have a baby at what advanced age? What now, God? There was some doubt there. And this very last one, the last thing that Matthew chronicles, after the disciples had been with Jesus all of those three years, after all the disciples had seen him heal and teach and do miracles, bring that part of the world together that Jesus interacted with, do these miraculous things, see him get crucified, buried, and resurrected, appeared to them several times over a length of time to make sure that they knew that it was him, and they did. 
but they didn't. So here he tells them to go to Galilee. They go up on the mountain and Jesus gives his farewell words to him. And the first thing they do on being in his presence is to what? They worshiped him. When we come into the presence of Christ, we need to humble ourselves. That's why we bow our heads when we pray. We are in the presence of God, God's Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ. We are worshiping God. When we come to church, we are placing ourselves actively in the presence of Christ. What are we here to do? We are here to worship. It's not what you got for us this morning, preacher. You're gonna, you're gonna juggle fire, you're gonna dance, you're gonna, what are you gonna get us to do this morning? It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about worshiping God. And hopefully the byproduct of that is that we are inspired, that we feel Christ's presence, that we know we are a part of a worshiping community. We are led and transformed by the Spirit through the spoken word, through music, through prayers, through scripture. So they worshiped him first. But then the very next sentence, the very next words are, but some doubted. How is that possible? How can they, more than anyone else who were there, they who would go out into the world and stake their lives, their families' lives, change their lives, gave up their vocations, put their own lives, their family lives at risk and went to the ends of the earth to proclaim that Christ had been raised and some doubted. How does that work? Abraham and Sarah, they doubted that God would do what God said God would do. Are they in good company? Absolutely they are. If you look through most of our biblical characters that the books of the Bible chronicle all the way from Adam and Eve all the way through Moses, well, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, David, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, all the way through the New Testament, the disciple here, Paul, so many all had doubts. Did God or Christ say to them in those moments, I've had enough of you, go away. Stop doubting. He may have said stop doubting, but he rarely chastised those even in moments where he could and maybe even should have. Take Peter. Two calming of the sea stories in Matthew. In Matthew 8, remember they're all in the boat, all the disciples, and the sea starts and Jesus is asleep in the back. The boat's, you know, like this and it's a perfect storm going on, 20-foot swells, and Jesus is asleep in the boat. And they said, Master, get up, we're about to die. And he says, oh, ye of little faith, calms the seas, I assume, then went back to bed. When Peter then in uh, later Matthew 14, Jesus is on the seas, it is rough. Jesus calls to Peter, come out, come on, Peter, you can do it. And Peter gets out and he does it. He's walking, he's doing what Jesus is doing. And then what happens? 
He sees those swells. He takes his eyes off of Christ. He lets his fear and threat become greater than his faith in Christ, and he begins to sink. Would Christ have been justified just to let him go? I told you. If you focused on me, you'd have been okay. But he doesn't. He reaches down, pulls him up, and says the same thing he says uh, in Matthew 8, O ye of little faith. But he doesn't throw Peter over the edge. Who's one of our biggest doubters in the New Testament? It's a part of his name. Hmm. Doubting Thomas, right. One of the few disciples that has a nickname. His jersey would say Doubting Thomas on the back. And we know his story after the resurrection. They are gathered in the upper room. This is John's gospel in John 20. Jesus appears to the disciples who are distraught, confused, grief-ridden. They don't know what to do. Everything they had believed was not the truth. Christ had been killed and dead, was not the Messiah. Everything that they had hoped for the last three years wiped away. They're there in that space. Christ shows up, peace be with you, reconciles with those disciples who's not there, Thomas. He comes back and they are so excited to tell him. What now? He was who? Who was where? He was here behind these locked doors. We are hiding. Nobody knows where. How did he? He didn't open the door. He just poof appeared. Mm, Jesus resurrected? I don't think so. Thomas says, I will not believe it until I see him touch him. Then a week later, Jesus comes again in the same fashion. Thomas is able to see and touch and believe that it is Christ, he falls to his knees and says, my Lord and my God, one of the most succinct affirmations of faith in the Bible, my Lord, the word Lord is more of kind of a kingly earthly rule, God more of a divine, God, Yahweh. So in that one little phrase, he is saying that Christ is ruler of heaven and earth my Lord and my God. And shouldn't Jesus have said, they, they told you, why didn't you believe them? Shouldn't Jesus have said, why do you keep asking? I'm right here. Why do you have to touch my hands? But he doesn't. Thomas earlier in John 14 also asked a question that, passage where Jesus is talking about going forward to prepare a place for us in God's house. There are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. I would not say it if it wasn't true. You can come and follow me and go on this way. And then Thomas is the only one of the disciples who says, well, what is that way? We don't know the way, Lord. How do we go? Where is that way, that route? When Jesus says, then responds, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets the Father except through me. So because Thomas asks that question, well, I, I don't know the way, Lord. What is the way? Who else probably had those questions? The rest of the disciples. 
How many times do we find ourselves, this, this is good as we're getting back into our educational mode, both in class, in school, as we check back in to Sunday school, Wednesday nights, our respective Bible studies and gatherings going on at church. How many times are we tempted to ask a question that we don't because we're afraid we're the only ones who have that silly, stupid, or ridiculous question that it's going to blow our cover because people think we know some stuff, and if I ask that question, they're going to know darn well that I don't know some stuff. We all do that, and we're all afraid. So what happens? Nobody asks questions. We don't grow in faith because where our pride keeps us from that, our inability to have high faith self-esteem takes us over and paralyzes us. So then, am I telling you you need to have doubt? I am telling you that. But there are a few different ways that we understand doubt. There is doubt and there is unbelief. From my understanding of this, doubt is something that you can proclaim. I don't know if I understand that, Pastor. But I'm going to continue to seek, understand, read, experience, to see if I can't find some answers or at least what other people believe or be open to the Spirit to see how God's Spirit will lead me to try to find some conclusions. And there aren't always pat, nice little answers wrapped up in a bow. Thomas could have said, oh no, I don't believe any of you, and left. He could have left. What does that translate to? Unbelief. There is doubt and there is unbelief. Doubt expresses a question or a thought or even fear. But doubt presupposes that you are working on seeking answers to that. It is an active doubt. When you just say, I can't believe the resurrection, as Thomas did, and then walk away, that is unbelief because you are unwilling to seek answers, to listen to what others would say, and it shuts you down. Sometimes we are in the middle of those two places, aren't we? To the credit of Thomas, he never walked away from his community, from his people, from those disciples. And we too, I hope every single one of you has questions of doubt, questions that are rooted in doubt. I'm not real sure. How did that? Because ultimately faith is just that. It's faith. That's the way God set this up didn't set it up, everything, improvable knowledge. But we know enough to stake our lives on these claims, these promises through God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we're in that middle ground where we have some doubt and we're here, but we still don't really grapple with these issues. And while worship is a place where we learn and grow together, it's really... Sunday school, Bible studies, other gatherings in the life of the church that help us to explore those things in more depth. Remember in the Great Commission, which is what Matthew 28 that I read to you is also called the commission. Jesus commissions them, go out into the world, teach them everything 
that I have, that I have said and done. Teach them my commandments. Teaching is just a part of our Christian journey, as is worship. So we can come in with doubt and we can kind of be hesitant, even though we're here. Friends, if we are here, if we have those questions, this is the place, this is the time for you to explore those questions. To get with other folks and just everybody admit at the beginning that nobody knows anything. Start from scratch. And my guess is you'll find out you know more than you think you know. But I believe true faith cannot be attained unless you work through doubt. Because then it's a candy-coated, shallow faith where you're just accepting what everybody tells you. It's a handed-down faith, sometimes from generations before that were believers. If we never explore that, if we never ask questions, if we never express doubt, then it never becomes our faith. If we always believe what we're told, it never becomes ours. Just because I say it doesn't make it true. I hope in times when through our preaching and worship together, you were saying, yeah, but in your mind, or you were saying, yeah, right on preacher, or you were saying, uh-uh, <laughs> not at all. That's not the way I see it or understand it. If you and I don't ever disagree in thought, in theology, then we're doing something wrong. I don't want us always to disagree. But that simply shows that you are engaged in your mind and your heart. You are seeking scripture. Without scripture, we will never get past a shallow faith. It is absolutely, it is more than okay to have doubt. It is necessary to move through it as long as you don't just park yourself in doubt and that's where you live your life. That's when it becomes something that can corrode you and rot you from the inside out. To be in doubt means you need to be actively seeking answers, solutions, or at least how other people have thought about this. There have been a lot of Christians in the history of the world who have thought through these same issues. What do other people think? What does your church family think? What does your church staff think? What do other church family members think? What do other church staff think? What do thinkers and authors and theologians of all time think about this, that, and the other? We never stop asking questions. We never have it all figured out. But the hope is that the foundation of our faith has been formed to such a degree that we have staked our lives on the claims of Christ. And so we can stand on that foundation and ask this question. It doesn't mean that we're slapping God in the face or we don't believe in Christ or that we reject the power of the Holy Spirit. It means that we are seeking to get closer to them through these conversations. So doubt absolutely is a part of faith as long as you don't park yourself in that doubt and just leave it because that's where you will remain. That's where your faith will stay. Explore, expand, seek. We Presbyterians are known for our education. And if that is the case, 
then we need to educate ourselves, continue to read and pray and be the church family God has called us to be. Can you have doubt? I pray that you do. But then that you will work through it to seek a better understanding of the God who has honored all of God's promises in the Christ whose resurrection glory washes over us all. Hallelujah. Amen.